Welcome to the Ty and Rye, the Finance Guys podcast, covering weekly investment news, important financial topics, and expert interviews. We want to help you become more knowledgeable about the financial world around you. This is not an offer to sell you anything, and remember, past performance doesn't indicate future results. Now your hosts, Ty Hansen and Ryan Robertson. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Ty and Rye, the Finance Guys podcast. Glad to have you with me today, and uh, as you'll notice, it's just me. So today it's just Ty, the finance guy. Luckily, my business partner, Ryan, is in Hawaii this week. So he uh, he deserved, or, or he's enjoying a well-deserved break out in Hawaii and uh, having some, some nice downtime with his family. So Glad he's out there enjoying himself while I'm here freezing my butt off in Utah where we now have uh, lots of snow in our mountains. And uh, yeah, I'm here freezing and working working my life away while he's enjoying Hawaii. So no, excited for him, glad for him. Uh, he's, he's awesome. Glad that he can enjoy that time with his family. So anyways, welcome today. Glad to have you aboard. Um, ho- hopefully it's not too boring with just me, right? There's no playful banter back and forth between me and Ryan today, but, uh, I'll try and keep it simple and, and fun. Um, hopefully I'm not going to be too boring for, uh, all of you wonderful listeners out there. So, and, and as always, we really appreciate you. Uh, it's great to have, you know, have everybody downloading and listening to us. Uh, we're having a lot of fun with this. So we appreciate your support. It's a lot of fun. Uh, as always, check us out tyandry.com that's our podcast website and feel free to you know if you ever want to send us a message if you ever want to you know connect with us uh, you can use our main advisor firm support email it's support at myprosperteam.com so go ahead and send us any information or requests or concerns or thoughts you've got so happy to hear them in fact last week's podcast that's what we talked about was we did a uh kind of a mailbag approach and just answered questions that uh, you wonderful listeners have. So, well, this week, since I'm going solo, I'm going to dive into something that I've done for a lot of my career and something I understand extremely well and is a very big part of your financial future, uh, a big part of your financial success. And most likely for most people listening, it's going to be your the largest asset that you own, and that's your home. And specifically dealing with your home, we want to talk about mortgages. I, want, I wanted to go through Mortgage 101 today and talk about the ins and outs of mortgages, how they work, specifically how uh, also how reverse mortgages work. Uh, I want to understand, you know, the, the pros and cons of doing reverse mortgages because as people get older and closer to retirement, that becomes a, a, a I don't want to say a product, but that, that's definitely something that's, that's sold in the marketplace. There's definitely good and there's also bad that's associated with doing them. So, so let's talk about that. And the other thing I want to really dive into as well is we're going to talk about understanding your mortgage, and your home as an investment. Now, I I will preface this episode by saying when I build a financial plan or when Ryan does or any of our advisors, we don't include the primary residence as an asset that we can use. We don't include the uh, primary residence 
any of the equity. We don't include that for, again, it's just, it's not a bargaining chip in my opinion. Now, having said that, there still are some investment elements wrapped up in your home, wrapped up in your interests that you're paying, things like that. So, so I want to dive into that as how is your home an investment? And again, for, for most people listening, that is the single biggest investment. Well, for most people, again, it's like, you know, 30s, 40s, early 50s, like that is the biggest investment that you have now. You know, obviously, as you build up more assets, build up a 401k, then, then you start to have more assets elsewhere. But it's a big purchase, right? It's a big deal. And uh, to be frank, you know, home is where the heart is, right? H- homes are important. Um, you know, I know that's that's one of the most important things to me. I'm, I'm, I'm particular, very particular with my home, right? I like to be comfortable. I like to make sure it's, you know, a place where my kids and, and my family feel safe. And so it's, it's definitely one of the most important things that, that I have in my portfolio. Okay, so let's dive into that. So, and just, just as a quick background too, not to, you know, pat myself on the back or anything of that nature, but just to kind of tell you guys where I'm coming from. So I've been doing mortgages a very, very long time. Uh, so I do them in conjunction with, you know, the financial advising firm and the insurance services we provide. Uh, I, you know, I've been doing mortgages since, goodness gracious, 2006, 2007. So uh, going on about 14, 15 years now that I've been doing mortgages. And been through a lot of ups and downs. Uh, in fact, yeah, so I, I started, you know, right around 2007, right, right when Lehman Brothers started to go under. So it's like I, I kind of and I went independent. So it was like, man, I chose the right time to go independent right when the market started to, to erode and, and crumble away. So but so I've done I've done, you know, residential lending, home lending, uh, commercial lending, investment property. I mean, I've, you name it, I've done it. Re- reverse mortgages, done a bunch of them. And again, we're going to talk about the pros and cons of that. So, again, that, that's that's who I am. That's where I come from. Right. I've, I've done this a long time. So. Now, there's so some of these basic pieces, I think most of you are going to understand, right? We all have, well, not we all, I guess I shouldn't assume all of us have a mortgage, but you know, most of our clients, if not all, and most of our listeners, you know, you've probably got a mortgage or you're looking at getting a mortgage. So these, you know, these pieces will be helpful to understand. So the, the, the basic breakdown of the mortgage payment, okay, there's, there's usually four elements. There can be five or six elements to it. Okay. So the basics are principal, interest, property taxes, and home insurance. Okay. Those are the four basics. Now, principal and interest, just to make sure everybody's aware of that, you pay the interest first and then you pay principal, right? That's how every lender, that's how, that's how they work it. And, and what's important about that, why I want people to understand that is um, when you go to pay an extra you know, amount, just you know the way it's applied first is all interest is paid first, and then they start applying towards principal. Another thing to remember too is if you are paying extra, again, that's great because it's going to principal, it never... I, can, I shouldn't say never, but most often that extra additional payments, they just go to principal. They don't go to your next month's payment. You can't prepay a mortgage, okay? 
And that's important to understand because I've had a handful of clients thinking, hey, I'm going to prepay my mortgage for a few months and then I, you know, I kind of can kick back and don't have to worry about, um, you know, I don't really have to worry about, you know, anything like, um, uh, I don't have to worry about my, my payment for a while, right? I can just, I don't have to worry about payments coming out of my bank account. Don't do that. That's bad because then you'll miss payments. And that's kind of a, you know, obviously a, a big key to all of this is making sure that you, uh, you know, one of the worst things that will hurt your credit is missing a mortgage payment. So, so, uh, so yeah, so principal, interest, taxes, home insurance, right? Home insurance is not mortgage insurance. Home insurance is fire, you know, catastrophe, flood, something major happens to your house and you have a claim, they come out and they rebuild the house, right? That's And uh, additionally, you can have, like here in Utah, a lot of people carry earthquake insurance because we have you know, high likelihood of, of an earthquake. You know, a lot of people are, 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 uh, saying there'll be a big earthquake here and, you know, within the next however many years, but anyways, uh, obviously California, there's a lot of earthquakes there too. Flood insurance. If you're in a flood plane, uh, you, you may have flood insurance. So that's a piece that could be added to your mortgage as well. So that's home insurance and, and, and every lender, is going to require it, assuming you're carrying a mortgage. If, if you don't carry a mortgage, you you don't technically have to have home insurance. But you know, the advisor in me would say you're you're a moron if you don't carry insurance. You need to carry insurance, right? Because you just you you'd never know what's going to happen. And then obviously taxes, you 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 can't get around that. So got to pay the piper. We always have to pay the piper, no matter what we do. The only two certain things in life are death and taxes, right? So. A couple of other components that might that may be included with your payment. Uh, you may have mortgage insurance. So there's no mortgage insurance on a home loan if your if your loan to value is better than eighty percent, lower than eighty percent. Meaning, and when we talk about that loan to value, that just means how much of a mortgage do you have compared to the actual value when you buy the home or do the loan. Now. Lenders don't care if you bought a home for five hundred thousand and then six months later the house is worth five fifty. They don't they don't care about five fifty. They only care about what you started with. Okay. So if 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 your eighty percent of that value, if your loan amounts that is eighty percent of that or lower, you don't have to have mortgage insurance because you're less risk to the bank. Right. The higher the loan, the riskier you are to the bank. So. Uh, so if you, yeah, if you've got, if you're buying a house or if you're refinancing and that you're above that 80% mark, which you can, you can, I mean, there's still loans that go all the way up to 100% financing, meaning you're not putting a penny into the deal. In fact, there's a great program here in Utah through a group called Utah housing corporation. Awesome. They're a great organization. I love them. Really good to work with. Uh, VA has an awesome loan. That's hundred percent financing. USDA in certain rural areas. USDA is an awesome loan. Love that program. So anytime you're above 80% loan to value, so let's say you buy a house, you put 5% down, 10% down, whatever, you have to pay mortgage insurance. Okay, so that would be a fifth element to a payment. You'd have principal, interest, taxes, home insurance, mortgage insurance. And what I, you know, what I always tell people is, look, home or, or, or sorry, mortgage insurance does not protect you in any way, shape, or form. Okay, it doesn't help you at all. 
it well I, the way that it helps you let's clarify that the way that it really is is you know helpful to you is it will so it basically lets you keep more of your money in your own pocket right for most americans if you want to get a home most americans don't have 20% saved right we're not we're, we're not a very very good society we're not very good in our our culture about saving money unfortunately that's kind of the, the the trend in our in our in our society here is we don't save we spend so um that's a whole other topic though so so anyways if you um you so you, so you don't have 20 percent down so that's the advantage of mortgage insurance is it's like okay look yeah we'll give you a loan but you're riskier to us because because we're we're carrying so much of the loan against this or so much liability you're gonna we're gonna force you to buy an insurance policy that protects our butt, right? So if you default on that loan, helps them recover. So that's what mortgage insurance is. And then the last piece, depending on what neighborhood you live in, there's a homeowners association. Now, homeowners is obviously a separate payment from your mortgage, but as far as lenders are concerned, it's included. That's part of uh, the calculations for your your you know your ratios, your debt to income ratio. So. So really, you could have six elements, right? You could have principal, interest, taxes, home insurance, mortgage insurance, and then the HOA fee, homeowners association fee. So, so keep that in mind. There's a lot of a lot of moving pieces with that. Um, okay, so um, what I want to dive into with the basics here is there's a couple of questions I always get from people, and, and well, actually, sorry, one, one more little side note too as we go through the mortgage basics. There are actually two parts to your mortgage. Most people don't realize this. Okay? There the the two pieces carry very different roles in your mortgage. And it's 98% of the time it doesn't matter except like when we had 08, 09 when there was a so high such a high default rate. And it was people were trying to modify. They were trying to do all kinds of things. And people would see such a wide variety of what their lenders would work out for them. And that's because the two pieces are, one, you've got the servicing, right? That's the front end. That's who, that's who you make your mortgage payment to every month. That's who you see a statement from. Wells Fargo, Chase, uh, City. Uh, SunTrust, I don't even know if SunTrust is still around. Uh, anyway, so, you know, whoever that, but Penny Mac, I mean, there's a there's a boatload of, of people you can make your payments to. They're the servicer. They're the front end. They're, they're not necessarily keeping all of the interest that's being collected. They're taking their fees off, and then they're pushing their monies to the note holder who actually owns that note. The person that's like, look, we we own the right like we own your we own your mortgage we own your house right we're the we're the ones that are that have given you all this money okay so there's servicer and then the actual holder of the note now a lot of times that can be one and the same that can all be at the bank but this was created for the purpose of um the so and I don't want to go too back, far back in history on, on mortgages, but really it used to be that, yeah, I mean, it was always the bank. So if you went to your local bank or even if it was a national bank, you go to the bank, you get the mortgage, you're paying them, they own your note, right? So, so if you default, the, the, the local banker is going to come and, and take over your house, right? Well, b- banks wanted to be able to lend more money. 
So this, they came up with a system where it's like, okay, well, this is mortgage-backed securities. This is kind of getting into the big short, right? That movie, The Big Short, and a big part of why the mortgages, uh, the there was the mortgage and real estate crisis in 08, 09, right? The Great Recession. Um, so th- they they came up with this idea. They're like, okay, we're going to take like Wells Fargo. They they have certain rules that they can only lend so so many dollars based on how much they have on deposit, right? So this idea is like, okay, well. We want to be able to lend more because we want to make more money. So they started saying, okay, well, what if we take, uh, so if we have 100 loans out, what if we took 50 of those loans, bundled them up, and sold them off to somebody else that's that's willing to take the risk but also get, you know, most of the payout, the reward, right? These are mortgage-backed securities. So you have that bundling, right? And it takes it off the bank's books. So now the bank can say, sweet, we can go out and lend a whole bunch more. We can make more money. So when that happens, when Wells Fargo doesn't retain the note, that means, you know, if you're paying 3% interest, 4% interest, whatever, a small piece goes to Wells Fargo for their fees, and then the other amount goes to whoever holds that note. It's usually larger institutions or pensions. I mean, like mortgage-backed securities or mortgage-backed securities, right? They're big, huge pools of lots and lots, thousands and thousands of mortgages, right? In fact, you know, my neighbor's mortgage might be owned and held by somebody on the other side of the world compared to where my note is held. So it just, it just depends who we call it paper, right? Who keeps that paper, right? That debt paper. Okay. So those are the two parts of mortgages. So understand that when, when sometimes you're, you're like refinancing or it was more, it was more prevalent when when people were trying to modify and some people would get a modification done in like two months and they had awesome terms other people it took years and it's just because whoever actually holds the note who gets to make the call could be totally different people okay so uh one other little basic piece with a mortgage payment that i get asked all the time is should i make bi-monthly payments or every you know every two weeks, right? And the reason that okay, so so really what that's doing, what a bi monthly payment is doing, or every two weeks, is it's essentially forcing you into making thirteen payments a year. That's what's happening. So that's why and and just really I mean so people are like yeah do bi monthly payments because what it does is is it pays off your mortgage faster. Absolutely, it does. Right, but it's not some magic special secret little calculation. All it's doing is it's actually forcing you into thirteen. When you work it all out, when you work out the numbers, it's you're making a thirteenth payment. So you're just making an extra payment every year. Okay, and so we're gonna dive dive into this a little bit deeper in just a little bit because I want to. I really again, I want to dive into these elements of what is how is my mortgage, how is my home an investment, and there's a cool little tool I built that actually deals with that with those numbers right with really understanding what does that mean making those extra payments okay so so i'll come back to that in a second so again bi-monthly payments should you do them obviously yeah i mean anytime you can throw extra money at your house it's a good thing right you're paying the mortgage down you're saving interest you're saving time it's a great great way to go in fact again we'll talk about that in a second one thing i will caution against though is some banks, some mortgage lenders, some institutions will charge you a fee to do it that way. 
and even even more aggressive i've seen i've seen um software that's sold where it's like we've got this black box we're going to help you pay off your house faster we're going to do all this blah 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 and really what it comes down to the fundamentals are the software looks really sexy and it makes your house look awesome like oh i'm going to pay this off in 10 years not 30 and what it always comes down to is you're, it just show it's you making extra payments right the software there's no secret sauce in there so what i mean by this what you need to be cautious of don't ever pay uh, your bank don't ever pay anybody to structure you in any kind of like a bi-monthly payment program or you know eliminate your mortgage software program whatever don't pay for that garbage it's garbage it is what it is because if you talk to any good advisor any good lender they'll actually help you figure out how you can do that in fact we're going to talk too about you know like at some point you know should you refinance and a real a good loan officer would always say they'll always tell you when it's not the best interest to refinance in fact, I, I, I've told that to hundreds of my clients where I'm like, no, 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 don't refinance because it's going to cost. If you were to just throw an extra 500 bucks a month at a mortgage, you're, you're pretty much going to accomplish the exact same thing versus paying me two or $3,000 to refinance your home or roll a bunch of closing costs into the balance. Just pay extra. If you pay the extra amount, right? Because I think sometimes it's funny. We, we want to have something like, we want to have some special secret sauce. And if we pay for the secret sauce, we're more likely to do it. It's like, no, like, listen, nine times out of 10, it's just a basic calculation. And by just throwing extra money at it without paying anybody else to do that, you accomplish the exact same thing. Okay. So seriously, if, 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 if you're, you know, if you're looking at doing any of these tricks or tools or whatever you want to implement or even do some of these calculations, seriously, reach out to us. We're happy, we'll, we'll do it for you for free. Like it literally takes two minutes and we're happy to help you with that. Okay. So those are the mortgage basics, right? We all know we get a house. We don't have all the money to buy it cash. We get a loan, right? That's all the pieces to it. So, okay. Um, I guess the bigger stress right now for most people too, is this fact that um, it's like, wow, the markets are so crazy. How in the devil am I ever going to buy a house? So, so I'll, I'll finish with this last thought before I go into this next section. When it comes to your primary residence, now, now investment property is different, right? Obviously, investment property is all about the numbers, and so, so you know, with, with home prices being higher right now, it's it's a lot harder to find a good investment property deal that, that makes sense on paper, right? That the, the numbers make sense. Your primary residence, though, I'm a very, very big believer. I'm very passionate about the fact that. Home prices and interest rates should never dictate when you buy your home. Now, they influence it for sure. They really do, right? I mean, obviously, if interest rates are low, more people are going to buy houses because you have more buying power. What I mean by that is don't ever let a realtor or a loan officer or anybody push you into buying a house just because it's like you got to buy now because – because. Um, Home values are on the rise or interest rates are at 40-year lows, blah, blah, blah. Don't like, no. Like when it makes sense from your, your 
because I always talk, when I talk to clients, I always talk about quantitative numbers, which, which obviously I help with. I know not quantitative numbers, like calculating the numbers I know inside and out. But the qualitative numbers, that's a different story, right? So don't buy that house. Don't commit yourself to something so major until it makes sense for you, your family, your financial situation, right? I don't care if interest rates go up 2%. I don't care if home prices go up 50 grand. Do it when it's right for you. The other thing too, on the flip side of that coin is everybody's like, well, I'm just going to wait for the market to fall. I don't think the market, the real estate market is not going to crumble. It's not. There's, well, let me take a step back. Sorry, sorry, sorry. There's definitely some factors that could impact that, right? I mean, all of a sudden, like, let's say inflation just goes buck wild. Like it could, it's not, but it could. Or, you know, all the the extremists out there that think that crypto is going to become our next currency and that our dollar is going to fail, which it's not. But if, if that did, and all of a sudden, like our, our entire economy is hosed and home prices drop by 30 or 40%, yeah, the, the extremes could happen, right? It's a, it's, just, it's, it's a statistical bell curve. That still, technically, it's on the curve, right? It's something that could happen. It's not, right? Especially like here in Utah, the trend that I'm seeing is the, it's supply and demand, right? And this is the big difference between this year and back in 2006, 7, 8, 9, right? Back then, there wasn't the demand. Sorry, there, there, or there, was, there wasn't a supply-demand issue. Right now, the problem is there's just no supply, right? So you have a higher demand, which is, which is rising at, raising up home prices. You do have some inflation elements, right? Costs of lumber, everything's going up. But I, I don't see that burning off. If, if, if home prices do come down, you're, you're not talking like, hey, overnight, homes are going to drop 25 30% like they did in 08, 09. What we're talking about is... Sure, that value may stay stable for six months to a year, or maybe it does drop ten percent. But even then, the likelihood of that I think is is actually pretty low. So, okay, mortgage basics. Now let's switch into. Uh, I do want to talk about reverse mortgages because. So, and I've done a bunch of reverse mortgages for clients, and I've also told a lot of clients, don't do a reverse mortgage. Okay, so just just a couple of misnomers with mortgages or reverse mortgages. Okay, so there the reverse mortgage, the reason they call it reverse, is the the, the regular mortgage you're going to get with your, your currently probably have on your home, with Wells Fargo, with Chase, with whomever. That's what's called a forward mortgage, right? You're moving forward, paying it down. Reverse mortgage is the opposite, meaning you start with equity, and you're slowly eating away at that equity. Okay. Typically, you have to be 62 years of age or older, all right? You can't get a reverse mortgage when you're in your 40s. Uh, usually, you have to have anywhere between 50 to 60% the max loan to value, meaning you have to have a good chunk of equity in your home. So you, you, Now, you can actually do what's called a purchase reverse mortgage, meaning you can go buy a home when you're 65, put 50% down, and do a reverse mortgage. You can do a purchase reverse mortgage. Okay, I'll say that again. Purchase reverse mortgage. Okay, you can do that. So again, misnomer. You don't give your house away to the bank when you do a reverse mortgage. You still own it. Okay? Now, again, it's, it's, there are, there's some predatory lending in the reverse mortgage world. So you, you do need to be cautious about it. Uh, you also can can structure a, a reverse mortgage and you basically have a line of credit where they're like, okay, you've got enough equity that not only are we going to do the mortgage for you, but you can also have a $100,000 line of credit if you ever want to draw on it. 
So there's that element to it too. What happens? So, so this is the basic. You buy a $500,000 home or, or even let's just say you, you, you own a, five, a home that's worth 500000 and your mortgage is 250000 You do the reverse mortgage. You never make a payment as long as you're alive and living in that home. Okay? Never make a payment the rest of your life. So what's happening is every month, whatever your interest rate is, that monthly interest rate is being added to that balance. So you go from 250000 to 251000 252, 253 every month. Now, I don't know if it's a hundred or 1000 bucks a month. It depends, right? But you get my point. That's where it's reversing, right? Forward mortgage, you're paying down. You're paying less interest over time. Reverse mortgage, you're adding interest, and that, that balance is growing, okay? So the reverse mortgage is eating away your equity, and so this is where we get into the pros and cons. Actually, sorry, before we get into pros and cons, let's take a step back. I want to I make sure everybody's crystal, crystal, crystal clear on this, okay? Reverse mortgages, you always own your home. Bank never owns it. You are eating equity, but you always own it. So let's just say five years goes by and you pass away. Okay, we're not going to worry about whether you're married or not, just you and the home. You pass away. You've got a couple kids, two kids. Same same scenario. We started at two fifty. Home value was five hundred. Well, let's say that over that five years, my loan balance went up to two hundred and seventy thousand dollars. Okay. Let's also say that. Well, no, we'll, we'll keep the we'll keep the. Let's say the house didn't appreciate a penny over five years. We'll we'll keep it simple. So the home value is still five hundred thousand. Well, you the kid when you pass away that still passes through to your kids. They get to keep the home and they have a choice. Okay. They can buy out the home. There's always three choices that are available with a reverse mortgage. One, the estate basically refinances the home and kind of takes over the home, right? With a regular forward mortgage. So one of the two kids or both the kids would have to do a new mortgage, pay off the old lender, start paying off the new loan. Okay. So either, either they do it, they, they buy out the home or refinance it sell the home and keep the equity or if the home is upside down give the mortgage back to the bank just give the house to the bank because the asset is no longer worth what you could sell it for in the market okay and so again that's where kind of that misconception comes that well the bank owns your home no they don't you own your home now again the idea here is you're giving away your equity when you're doing a reverse mortgage Okay, and we're going to talk about that here in just a second when we dive into the um, in, the home as an investment, right? And that's what I'm saying. Some of my clients have come to me saying, "Hey, I really want to do a home, uh, 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 reverse mortgage." And I'm like, "You know, you, you don't need to, right? Because a, you've got enough equity in your home; it's almost paid off, or it is paid off. You don't need the cash from the house." There's no reason to spend all the fees, costs, and start eating away that equity. There's no reason. It's just, no, it doesn't make any sense, right? And that's my opinion is, is you never should do a reverse mortgage unless, you, unless it makes sense in your overall financial you know, big picture. So let's look at where, where it does work. In fact, so I'll use my, my dad as an example. So God bless him. Rest in peace, dad. Uh, did not do the best preparing for retirement. I think that's probably why I do what I do is my parents were terrible savers and terrible at teaching us financial principles. So that's, 
that's where that's where it became a passion of mine. Uh, so mom and dad didn't save a lot. Um, they had some money. They paid down, you know, they had some equity in their house. And then, you know, after my mom died, my dad wanted to move. So he sold the old home. No, we didn't sell the old home. He had, he had some, he had some cash. We put some cash down and he bought it. He bought his, his home that he passed away in, uh, with a purchase reverse mortgage. Now, okay. Why was it so much more? Why was that so effective for him? So because my dad hadn't really saved very well, he was on a very fixed income, right? Very, very fixed income. And so, you know, a $1,500, back then it was about 1500 bucks a month for his mortgage payment. 1500 bucks a month was a big deal in his budget. Big deal. So by eliminating that, the, the, the pressure on the rest of his assets to perform, I, I actually did the calculations for him. And happy to do this for any of you clients that are interested in this. Okay. I did the actual calculation for him. For his invested assets to grow enough to help him subsidize his payments for the mortgage, if we did a regular forward mortgage, he had to earn about 16% a year. 16% a year. That is very aggressive for a 60. I think when we did it for my dad, he was like 67 ish, 68 ish. That's extremely aggressive for a 68 year old man. No 68-year-old person should have to have a, a 16 to 17% return to be successful. That's just ludicrous, right? So for him taking that off, it basically said, okay, the rest of his assets, I think he had to have them grow at about 1% to 2% a year to make sure he was going to be successful in retirement, right? So all things being equal, that made so much more sense for him because he had no payment risk. And, and again, for us as the kids, I was his kid, you know, there's myself and five other siblings. So six of us, we didn't care that it was eating away at the equity. We wanted dad to have a comfortable time of life where he didn't have to stress out about a mortgage. Right. So the reverse mortgage made so much sense for him. Now we were lucky. And when dad bought the markets were still pretty low. This was like, Oh, this was like 2010, 2011. And when he passed away in 18, the 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 balance of the mortgage had gone up but the actual equity in the home had outpaced that rise in loan balance so what i mean by that is you know like let's say the spread between what dad owed and what the house was worth when he bought it was like 200 grand when dad passed that spread was like 250 it was more we actually ended up having more money now again i will say had he done a regular normal mortgage then obviously that wouldn't have accrued the interest and he would have actually paid it down. We would have ended up having, we would have had a bigger chunk of change as kids after dad died. I don't care in the least that we didn't have that because again, dad didn't have to worry about it. It wasn't dad, that that wasn't worrying about dad's kids. That was worrying about dad, right? Making sure dad was okay. So, you know, obviously it was, it was, it was a great move for him. So that's the point is just like any other investment is it really depends on your situation. But again, that's how a reverse mortgage works, right? You, you, you still own the home. Your estate still owns it when you die. It's, it's just that it's accumulating interest over time. So the loan balance is growing. And again, if at the end of the day, you live a long, long time, let's say you do a reverse mortgage, you started at 65, you live to be 100, right? So 35 years. Let's say after, at the end of 35 years, you, your house is, is it, the balance is 700 grand. The house is only worth $400,000. Who cares? bank cannot kick you out they have to let you live in there as long as you're alive when you're done and you pass away here you go bank here's the keys to the house have a nice day 
right? And again, the idea with that is throughout that person's lifetime when they were 60, for the 35 years they're living in that house, was it more advantageous to not ever have to make a mortgage payment or was is it more advantageous to keep the equity in the home, right? That's what you have to, that's the question you have to ask. So anyway, so that, that's reverse mortgage. Okay. Um, all right. Last little thought, last little area I want to get into here, right? So we've talked about mortgage basics. We've talked about reverse mortgage. Let's talk about your home as an investment. Okay. Now I will say again that personally, the way I build a plan for any of my clients. Okay. Um, so the, the way that I like to structure it is I never want the home to be included in the planning. So I guess let me take a step back. I just talked about reverse mortgages and how big of a deal it is. It can be incorporated into the plan, right? If you're looking at like, should I do a reverse mortgage or should I not? Should I move? Should I get the equity? There's a lot of questions. The home should never be used like you don't want to rely on the equity in your home, okay? It's hard. You, you, you can't really get the equity out of your home without selling and moving. You can't get the equity out without paying a lender in some way, shape, or form. So yes, it's a great asset, but don't plan on it. Don't plan on the value of your home being a, a huge bargaining chip in retirement, okay? Having said that, it is an investment, right? Every dollar you put into your home, you're investing, you really are. That's what I love about it. It's great because it's an awesome, you know, opportunity. And I love telling younger people, it's like, look, buy that first condo townhome. Don't ever sell it, right? Oh, one of the biggest financial mistakes I've ever made, the first condo that I bought with my wife, we bought for $89,000. This was 2003, 2002, no, 2003. And rates were higher then, but even with that higher interest rate, my, my monthly payment was like 700 bucks a month. <laughs> Oy vey, I wish I would have kept that. Uh, that area right now, I still it's still, it's like, it's literally like a mile away from where I live right now, that condo. Uh, in fact, it's funny, I drive by it every now and then. That condo could rent today for about 1400 bucks, 1500 bucks. I, I easily could have that thing paid off by now. So anyways, I love this idea of, look, buy your house, and then as you continue to upgrade in life and you need more space or whatever, structure it to where you keep that old property and turn it into an investment property, right? It's the easiest way to get into real estate as an investment. But the actual home you have that you're living in, right, that's a big deal as far as like, okay, how do we treat this, okay? Um my okay so the number one question i always get here i get this from everybody all the time all the time ty i've got extra cash do i pay off my mortgage or add to my mortgage or do i invest it okay and in case you haven't gotten used to my response to everything financial is it depends <laughs> sorry it's the ultimate cop out from a financial advisor it depends but really, that's the response you want from a financial advisor is because that's a, that's a good advisor because they're actually they, they know what the hell's going on, meaning there's never a one size fits all. So, so what I mean by that is it's a quali- it's, it's, it's a lot more of a qualitative decision. Now, investing in your home is definitely more on the conservative end of the spectrum because you know the contrarian would say, because my, my mindset, my belief is, I like paying extra towards my mortgage. I do. Some people may say I'm dumb, but I tend to lean more towards the conservative end of the spectrum, right? 
Now I've got clients and even some of my own personal accounts, not as much money, but it's super aggressive. But my overall big picture is I tend to be a little bit more conservative. Now, having said that, um, the, um, so I, again, when people ask me this question, yes, we can decide and I can help you with that decision, but it's a qualitative decision. Do you want to be more aggressive or less aggressive? Right? Because I can't answer that for you. Okay. And the reasoning, so let's, let's, let's look at why on both ends of the spectrum, why you would do one way or the other. Why would I not? Okay. Again, let's just say I have a thousand dollars extra a month, right? I got a pay raise. I'm really smart about saving money. I, do I pay all thousand bucks to my house or do I invest it? Now, the more aggressive end of the spectrum is like, well, yeah, you could easily make more money by investing that than putting it in your house. And like, like I just said a few minutes ago, when you pay down your house, that money's locked. It's not liquid. It's locked into your house. Trying to get that dollar back out is really hard, right? So it's locked into the house. Um, so that's, yeah, anyways. So, so that, that's a thing to think about is the idea that if I put it elsewhere, if I invested elsewhere, I can make more money. Now, the other end of the spectrum is, well, why would I want to put that thousand dollars toward the house? Well, you're going to save interest and you're going to save time. You're going to save payments you have to make down the road, right? My thought, my rule of thumb, what I would tell that person, depending on, depending on other pieces is, wait a second, why don't we do 500 invested and 500 towards the home? It's actually a way to diversify, right? And again, there's somewhere along that spectrum. Maybe it's $999 go towards the house and $1 goes to the investment or the other end. It's $1 going towards the house and $990 going to, $999 going to the investment. Somewhere in between there, right? The point is there's pros and cons, and it really depends on your situation. Now, here's an interesting little side note. I'm going to geek out a little bit because Ryan's not here to tell me no. So, sorry, people. There's a cool tool that I've built where, and I've used this for years. I love this tool. This cool tool, it's fun. I really love, I love how this tool works, okay? Uh, Like, this is the geek in me that gets super excited about this. So, the tool is this. You... So when you invest a dollar into your house, an extra dollar, it saves interest and it saves a certain number of payments on the back end, okay? So if you were to take all of those payments that you saved on the back end plus all the interest you save throughout the loan, right? So you're investing a dollar to get $10 in the future, okay? there's a specific rate of return that you can calculate to see, well, what is that dollar really returning me if I paid it into my house? So you, I don't know if people know this, when you invest in your home, you're getting a rate of return on that dollar you're investing in your home and it's not the interest rate on the home, okay? So the, it, we call it internal rate of return. There's a few different ways to calculate this, but basically what it comes down to, I, I did just a very basic example, Okay. A $550,000 home, okay, at 4% interest rate on a 30-year fixed mortgage, okay, 550000 4%, 30 years. If you pay $100 extra a month, right, over the life of that loan, it shaves off about two to three years, 
and it saves you $115,000 between interest and having to make those payments on the back end, right? If you were to, if you were to set those two 30-year mortgages equal to each other, the timelines. What rate of return would you have to get to equal, right? So, so, so you just, so if I didn't put the $100 a month towards the house, I want to have the same dollar amount in 30 years. Again, this house was 550 at 4% for 30-year fix. You would get a guaranteed rate of return or you'd have to go out in the market and earn 6.7% to have the same return. So essentially every dollar you put in your house is giving you 6.7% return. And obviously, the more you're putting into your house, the faster you're paying it off, the higher the rate of return, right? So, again, now some people may say, Ty, I'd rather go out and make 10% in the market. Okay, awesome. Go do that. That's okay. Other people may say, hey, I just want to pay my house off. Again, there's no right or wrong answer. What I'm getting at is understand that it's an investment in your home, right? Anyways, this is a cool tool. I love it. I play with it all the time. I tell this to clients all the time. And this is what I'm saying. This comes back to that whole investment, your house is investment. Anytime you're thinking about refinancing, run that scenario. Look at that. Say, well, wait a second. What if I refinance? But what if instead, like, I know I can put about 500 bucks a month away extra towards my house. I will bet you that more often than not, unless there's a big deal, like if your interest rate is 6% and interest rates right now are like twos to threes, yeah, you're probably better off to refinance. But if it's closer, like if your interest rate was, say, at 4 and interest rates right now are at 3, it's like mm, if you pay extra a month and save yourself three to $5,000 in closing costs, you're going to be pretty close, okay? So, so, so make that make – that, so, again, should I refinance? Should I not? You know, those are the things to think about. Um, so, again, your, your home is an investment, and there's a lot of moving pieces to it. And, and the crazy thing is, is you know, everybody, the basics that everybody has in this country that I see most often, statistically speaking, everybody has a 401k. A lot of times, it, you know, they don't put a lot of money in there, but they still have it. You know, their employer gives them a few extra bucks here and there. Okay, cool. Well, you know, obviously people that are, that are doing a good job about it are saving and they've got other savings. But 98% of the time people have a 401k and they have a home, Right. So dive in and learn more about your home because it is a very, very large investment. All right. Um, this has been fun. I really like this. Appreciate everybody listening. And uh, it's funny because every time I do one on my own, I'm like, oh, man, how am I going to be able to fill the time? And here I am rambling, and it's been 47 minutes. So appreciate the listen. As all Ryan and I, seriously, we really do. Ryan and I absolutely love and appreciate our listeners. It's so fun. We, we are having so much fun with this. When we talked about starting up a podcast, I was like, oh, my hell, I do not want to do this. But I love it. It's so fun. It, it, mostly because it just lets me ramble. But, again, we appreciate you. Check us out, tyandry.com. And, uh, yeah, have a great week. And go and subscribe. Thanks and appreciate all the listeners. Hey, thanks for listening to the Ty and Rye, the Finance Guys podcast today. If you like what you heard, go ahead and hit subscribe. That way you won't miss any future episodes. Also, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Ty and Rye Podcast. Also, check us out at myprosperteam.com. Thanks. We will see you next week.